Welcome to another episode of Sonic Talk 314, recording today live, uh, Wednesday 22nd of May 2013. Uh, we are live and direct, you can watch us, uh, if you're not doing it this week, maybe you can watch us next week, which is sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time, and uh, join us for our Jolly Japes and uh, live video and all of those things as we talk about music technology and sort of uh, mildly related subjects, depending on how the news, whether it's been a slow or a fast news week. I'm not sure what, what constitutes this week, but I do have a couple of guests with me. I'm going to start with, uh, well, actually, no, first, I should say, of course, we've, well, this show's been um, sort of sponsored by Isotope. And uh, for those of you listening last week, there was a competition and we have a winner for the copy of Isotope, uh, Iris. Um, I will announce that a little bit later, as well as news of your another chance to win uh, yet another copy of Iris. So stay tuned for that. But first, we'll go and um, talk to. Well, let's talk. Let's say hello to Dave Spears. Uh, oh, there's his head sort of hanging down. Yeah, yeah. That's all right. I'll get you in the shot now. <laughs> there you are. You're in. Dave Spears, G4 Software, and actually a producer of said Isotope Iris software. Also, sat in front of contributor or in front of his. Um, dot com modular there which was making a noise earlier you're gonna turn it up again so i can have a listen yeah go on i'm looking about with audio rate modulation at the minute so we've got a sequence forget that and these kind of glitchy type patterns and then we can put it into audio rate modulation Ah, yeah, that you get that sort of voweling sound, don't you, with audio, right? As you bring in the in and out, uh, as you bring in the depth, right? Exactly. That was something I was trying to demonstrate on the uh, Korg MS20 Q&A that I did. But just every patch, because I thought I'd done it before, I thought, yeah, I know how to do that. And I, every time I went to demonstrate it, it didn't work as I'd expected. It was really embarrassing. There was one unkind person in the YouTube comments who said he was this joker. Every patch he goes for, he just gets wrong. <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I had no defence, frankly, because he was absolutely right. He was just a little bit harsh in his judgment call. <laughs> I think there's one person who spends his entire life on YouTube just going around every single video he can find and just hitting the dislike button. You're never telling right. anyone. He will never reveal his identity because he knows that if he's ever caught, he will be killed by about a million YouTubers. I've learned not to take it personally. It's just... Oh, you know, I don't it care. Doesn't, it doesn't matter, really. I, I, I prob- it probably just kind of goes in and sits in my psyche and affects all my dreams. <laughs> So I wake up every morning, Eve's just ever so slightly more bitter and twisted, but subconsciously, so I don't actually know it. I am yeah, brilliant. Anyway, that other chuckle you heard there was uh, was Mark Tinley, so we better go to you. Here we go, Mark. It was me. Another I third as well. I'll tell you I what you could do, passive though. Passive aggression. Passive aggression. Do you think you could tip... T- yeah, that's perfect, because I, I keep getting just your your nose and above oh, I when like I put the... Stan Laurel. What's going on? <laughs> I've got a great tune. <laughs> My, one of my favourite on the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia is one of my favourite tunes of all time. Yeah, and mine. That great... was in the charts, though, when we were about 15 or 16, Christ. if you're the same age as me. It was you're absolutely right, yeah. for ages, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> yes, oh, well, I won't go on. Along with Ernie, and he drove the fastest... That's right, it was the, it was the decade of the comedy record and the Baron Knights. 
But I, I imagine we're alienating an enormous number of uh, non-US uh, of, of US listeners now. Uh, I assume there must be some. So how are you, Mark? You well? Uh, Likebeing.com, wasn't it? There we go. And a I member of well. TV I Mania. Just clicked, I just clicked on Twitter and I thought, I'll tell everybody that I'm doing this podcast. And I'm following Niall Rogers and I saw a tweet and it said, I'm in this hotel in Ibiza. And I clicked on it and there's this amazing swimming pool. And I reckon that must be where Rich Hilton is. Actually, yeah, well, he's on the road, isn't he? In the same hotel, wasn't he? Wow, nice gig. So, so I've put a link in the chat room. If Rich Hilton, of course, is going to be playing in Bristol on Sunday night. I'm hoping to get to him on Saturday night for a catch-up for a drink, possibly. But uh, I think they've got a bit of a crazy schedule going on because they were somewhere else the other day and then they flew back to New York and now they've gone to Ibiza. Then they're going back to New York and then they're going to Bristol. It seems like a... It's not like the old days like when they had Concord. They could, do, really. well, they could do it on Concord and drink champagne. All the way. Oh, well, <laughs> throw, Niall tweeted throw party yesterday. streamers. <laughs> Niall tweeted yesterday that he was in first class and he asked for two glasses of water and got told off. So I guess you can't have champagne in first class anymore. Wow. Not even allowed a second glass of water. <laughs> wow, that's harsh. Oh, bad, yeah. yeah. Must have been, maybe it was very special water. Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, Indubitably. Anyway, thanks for joining us, Mark. Uh, that's our triumvirate this week. Triumvirate, even. Our triptych. And uh, let, where, where shall we start? We shall start... Oh, yes, this is something that's been in the topic list for a number of weeks, but we've never quite got round to it. So I'm going to play it now, and hopefully um, you will see why it was there, and it's all good. Oh, no, that's not it. That's my, no, that's my daughter. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about circuitry and software. This is Jazari uh, and his Mega. An Arduino Mega and loosely inspired by the famous Meganome. controller. The control surface consists of 84 square illuminated arcade buttons with extra light action, complemented by a number of continuous control sensors, including an XY joystick, two ebony pressure sensors, a proximity sensor, and two endless LED encoders. The case is made from solid three-quarter-inch purple heart and accented with curly maple. The whole box weighs in Interesting around idea. pounds. And if we open up the hood... Oh, my God. Inside, as fast forward as I should see what it does, Mega And a number of TLC 5940 LED uh, driver chips. Basically, this guy has this robot band. It represents pitch space with the chromatic scale along. And he's got this whole series of drums that are on sort of various uh, attenuate. Uh, I don't know what you call them, sort of stepper motors. And, and, and he does this um, live performance, and this is what he uses to control them. It's absolutely bonkers. And melodic motion that would be difficult delay, downsampling, and bad pitch shifting. Oh, there you go. Why robots? Oh, this is the good, but this is the crunch. Robots are expensive to build, time-consuming to make, and uh, hard to move in and out of gigs. You know, drummers and guitar players and whatever, they, like, they can get themselves in and out of a club. So it is more work, but um, what you get out of using robots, or you know, these, I call them robots, you know, electromechanical furniture that plays drums, you get the control of, that you have with software, so you can do all the sequencing that you have with software and all the effects that you can do inside the box in, like, in a computer in a program like Ableton. But you have the tactile feeling of real acoustic 
drums. You have this sort of infinite micro variation of each drum hit, because no two drum hits are the same. And when you run something that's always slightly different through effects processors, the, uh, the output has a certain tactile quality that's just it's unlike using samples. So it's its own thing. And the other advantage of playing with robots is that it's very low drama. You know, like <laughs> these guys are always on time for rehearsal. I think that's the case. Uh, we isn't don't it? fight over creative direction or women, which is a good thing because these guys are machines. Obviously, it's got a little joke, bit of a sense it? of humor. What's that? It's, that? it's that old joke, isn't it? You know, difference between a drum machine and a drummer, but in this case, a robot and a drummer. You only have to punch the information in once to a drum machine <laughs> or a robot. It's bonkers, though. I mean, there is, it seems like a fairly, well, on the surface of it, it seems like a fairly well-balanced individual, but then they can't be, can he, really, doing that? I mean, that must take just, you know, endless hours and hours and hours. And I imagine you go to a gig and all that, the, the, you know, getting the sort of micro distances between the, the, the things that you must just take such a long time to set up. It might be, you know, yeah, the sound check and all that must take, you must have to get there days beforehand to make sure it all works. But it's an interesting idea. And he built that, the electronics to do that as well, which is kind of, it's just, it's just a, a crazy idea. But a, a band of robots, we do occasionally have, uh, we do occasionally have robot items and this is one of them. And it, Dave, you're a drummer. Have you heard? Have you ever heard? I mean, we were at Messer, and there's a ro- there's a robot band playing on one of the stage, and a massive, very enthusiastic crowd, <laughs> and there was no humans involved at all. I don't know. It's quite strange, isn't it? I mean, I have to say, at first, I saw this. What when was this? It was like a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? This yeah, it was. Yeah, on the list, and I kind of looked at it first of all, and went because initially it looks like a kind of you know begging a video for a Kickstarter money to do a controller. And I was like, oh, that doesn't look very nice. It looks like a really crappy old 70s dashboard of a car with buttons on. And then when he started playing it and doing all the kind of drum fills and the 16ths and the 8ths on the different line, I was like, oh, this is really intriguing. And then, of course, when it got to the robots, he is absolutely right in that, you know, drummers generally do not hit the head in the same way or place exactly the same twice. So these kind of subtle variations are quite interesting from my perspective. And mm. I kind of got, yeah, it's, I've got really mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I'd kind of, I think I'd be scared to be in the same room as this person if there was one knife in the room. <laughs> and on the other hand, I'd really like to have a chat with him about, you know, the philosophy behind the whole uh, setup and the technical aspects of it. Yeah, no, interesting. I know, um, Rich, uh, how he mentions in the chat room, James Taylor, anyone? And in fact, yes, because yes, he did the, I can't remember what he's called, but Rich Hilton said he saw him, didn't he? With a the, fantastic drum machine. With the kind of, yeah, the giant white, and it just sounded like a nightmare to tour, but he did do it nonetheless. And uh, But this is, this, this is a level of obsession. I don't think James Taylor actually made it and invented it and kind of curates it himself, which th- this is the sort of thing that uh, he's got that kind of a, you know, when you're talking to a real hardcore uh, programmer, and they're talking to you, and you can see that they're not really engaged. They're thinking about something else. He's like that. Yeah, but chances are he might be thinking about dismembering you. No, I'm sure he wouldn't. <laughs> no, there was, this, there was a sort of moment. I was really enjoying it, and there was this sort of moment where I was quite enthralled and kind of looking at the video and then suddenly thought, actually, this guy looks quite scary on occasions. Yeah, that, maybe so. A whole so. different slant on it, but hey... You know. I'll come back to you with a question, actually, about about that uh, humanisation thing. But, look, Mark, what did you make of this? 
Well, actually, I'm having a bit of a weird moment because I'm sure I've got deja vu because I think you said exactly the same thing last week about people who are programming things who have that vacant kind of <laughs> they're in the background kind it's, of stuff. It's entirely but now possible. I'm trying to work out whether you've said it exactly the same way as you said it last week or if you said it very slightly different. I am. Uh, I've been doing a lot of programming actually the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> It was. You did say it last week. Do you know what? I had exactly the same thing. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I, Brilliant. Wow, Brilliant. Bizarre. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm nothing if not consistent, at least with that. Uh, so what do I think of that thing? Well, um, I think every musical instrument should have curly maple on it. I think that's an important thing on a musical instrument. So I kind of quite like the idea that it's in an oldie-worldy form factor kind of proper musical instrument box. But and then I don't really understand why there's 80 knobs on it, I, I, buttons on it. I just kind of counted through. I can see there's five banks of 16 and then four off to one side. But uh, I, didn't hear, I didn't hear any triplets in anything that he was playing, and I didn't hear any dotted notes. Or didn't, it just all seemed to be like... But there was nothing like or you know that kind of so it seems it seemed uh very you know gridded to the sort of sixteenths eighths and quarter yeah, um I didn't know. Maybe, maybe that was just the particular piece we listened to. There is a butthole bunch. You go to uh, I think it's Jaziri Music com or dot net. I have to look it up. Jaziri Music dot com. I'll post the link in the uh, show. In the, in the chat and room. And then, of course, the, I mean, I, the problem with that style of playing music, and I'm going to call it playing music because it's playing music because there's a human being at the end of the interface doing it, it's like on the MPC-60, it's ever so difficult to actually hit. Everything's playing on the grid, and then to actually hit the buttons on the grid is actually quite difficult as well. So there's an incredible skill in what he's doing. But when he doesn't quite get it right, it sort of jars more than it would jar if he was just playing the drums himself or playing the... Ah, because there's no... Uh, I suppose that's because there's no... You can't... If he starts out, he can't then make up the pattern within the rest yeah. of the rolls. So it's just like... And that would be... At, the whole thing would be out of time rather than get sliding back into time. You feel yeah, it go slightly out because it's so tight and then you just feel it go off. But then the fact that he's even... I can't play MPC, you know, like the, when you're doing rolls on MPC 60s and trying to program stuff with those pre-programmed 16th note pads and things. I just can't do that at all. I mean, I just, <laughs> I'm nowhere close to it. So, I mean, it is quite an extraordinary skill that he's sort of doing that and doing it live and playing that. And I love robot things. I just, I mean, the whole idea that somebody would build something that plays a real music instrument that has air around it and it moves air so all your air temperatures are going to make a massive difference to anything that's going on and the whole environment you know there's environmental elements m making a difference to those drums all the time so i mean it, there is that variation even though it's a machine doing it it's still got all of the other kind of variations there's only like one fixed thing as opposed to when we're making music with computers, so much of it is fixed. It's nice to see that being more organic. Yeah, especially because our ears are very geared, or become more geared to recognising patterns, I suppose. Which was going to get me back to you, actually, Dave, because when you're working on software synthesizers, how do you introduce that, or do you, that element of kind of randomness, so that things are a little bit out 
out so they're not perfect every time or they're not exactly the same every time do you work within certain parameters to try and create that kind of um, analogness into what you do uh it depends on the type of music yeah i mean if it requires it i'll do everything pretty much in uh grid edit and just push and pull things and change velocities and stuff I used to do this kind of pretty much full time. Was basically edit other people's MIDI performances, uh, you know, on the various controllers. So I got pretty good at kind of knowing. Oh, if I nudge that to you know one four one, then that'll give that a little bit of a push and whatnot. Yeah, you so, start to recognise the, the the grid divi- the off grid divisions. Yeah, <laughs> and I got true. really. I actually got really quite competent at because I worked with several kind of session players for a long period of time. Bruford, for example, and stuff like that. I could, I, you could give me a MIDI performance of his and I would know that it was him without you uh, telling me that in could, advance. So there's a real bit when they it, change the it, resolution of the sequencer and all of that knowledge is just tossed out the window. <laughs> yeah, just gone. Yeah, yeah. But it was always very interesting. It was like, you know, it became a bit of a challenge. So there's things like that, but also, you know, subtle filter modulation on certain things can do that. But for me, the mo- and it was interesting that Mark was saying about everything being fairly static, 16th, 32 or 8 notes. Mm. For me, it's grace notes when you're drum programming. Grace notes make all the difference. Those really beautifully subtle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm going slightly on an aside. I was watching uh, the video for that new Abbey Road 50s drummer thing from uh, Native Instruments. And the grace note programming and some of the jazz stuff on that is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it really, apart from the fact they've mixed it so loud and you would never have heard it that loud in a record in the 50s, it sounds just truly authentic. It sounds like somebody playing a drum kit. And I'm sort of sitting there thinking, hmm, I can see how I could incorporate this into some, especially like the bossa novas, absolutely awesome. <laughs> Um, I might have to go and get that. Interesting. Uh, one thing I was going to say, Dave, when I was asking you about the analogness, I was thinking in terms of in within your actual instruments. So your emulations of of analogness, do they do you build those into the software to a degree? And if you know, and what degree do you do that? If you do, what in terms of drums or no, no, in terms of your synthesizers, you know, the the stuff what you make as GeForce. Sorry, you've lost me. So, for instance, you know, say the Oddity or Imposca, do you build in an analogue sort of wobble factor into any areas of that so that it's not absolutely precise at all times? Uh, No, I mean, if you model it properly, there will always be a kind of degree of analogue drift, but the, you know, the desire is to get as close as possible sonically to the original thing. So there are certain quirks that existed in the original synths. I forget what the Oddity thing was, but it was something like, you know, the LFO wouldn't re-trigger after you'd played if you held four notes down and whatnot. And it's those kind of things that you have to kind of factor in. Ah, okay. Uh, but again, you can use that, you know, within a composition, you can use that. So it's like, okay, so I want these to re-trigger, and then actually I don't want that to re-trigger. So, you know, within the MIDI sequencer, you would do things. But, you know, there's all sorts of trickery. Uh, Howie, uh, in, in the chat room, Howard Scar there, I imagine, uh, I think it is, uh, a slop controls <laughs> Diva work well for that. That's a rather unattractive name for a parameter, isn't it? Slop. Slopping out. Slop and slide. Slither, maybe, that would be as well. You could have... <laughs> slop, slide and slither. Maybe that's it's a show title. the studio. Yeah, <laughs> it needs a bit more slop. A bit more slop, yeah. Do you remember those... those I, uh, play it, I, 
I barely understand what somebody means when they say, I want you to push the beat. I'm kind of like, hmm, what does that mean? Or I would lay back and push and lay back are two terms that I've never really understood. I, and I used to use one of those rushing dragon things oh, in the yeah. studio with li- the lights on it. And I'd watch that thing moving back and forth, and I'm I'm blowed if I could tell the difference between something when it was in time or it wasn't. Oh, there was that. I'm a guitarist. <laughs> there was that that whole thing, wasn't there? I'm sure I've told this story before about uh, you know the the kind of playing to that people getting to, them to play to the Russian Dragon. The Russian Dragon was a kind of like it's like one of those stage tuners with a big LED sweep, and basically yeah. that's the beat. That's behind or in front i'm not sure so it would it would show how soon or late your playing is or the downbeat was against the beat so and i i'm presuming there were some people who looked at it and knew exactly what they wanted to get from it in terms of delay and it but it just sounds it sounds like an excuse to, to eat up studio hours frankly i used to get really annoyed with people who who'd say to me um your drums are flamming and I'd have two kick drums on things, and they'd be going like, that's not tight enough because the drums are flamming. But that's part of the whole, for me anyway, it's part of the whole magic of a, a dance remix is that the drums are kind of just blipping in and out of each other, and it kind of that's what gives it the variation for me. It's like I don't want the kick drums absolutely sample accurate on top of each other because then you'd have no variation. It's when it's kind of... When the two beats are moving against each other, if you're using two beats, that I, I actually like that sound of the drums kind of flamming a bit and moving around. Oh, as a drummer, that fills me with dread. Kick drum, <laughs> flamming, flamming kick drums. Yeah. I mean, you could have a flam, you know, a kick drum and a snare drum and stuff like that. We get a similar kind of thing, actually, a lot. You know, that implies a double bass drum pedal, doesn't it? There, really, in terms of in drum terms, well, yeah. Like millisecond inaccuracies. Like if you've got a Lin kick. The actual front end of a Lin kick is not going to be the same as the front edge of your loop. So if it's playing, and if it's the Lin is absolutely quantized to sixteenths, but the loop's got some variation in it, then the the kick drum's going to flam at different points throughout the beat. But then, because the machinery isn't always perfect, things move around, especially in MIDI. You're going to hear different kind of. It's that really tight double triggered it's interesting isn't it I yeah like, that, that I awful like it moving on and off the beat like that yeah i, I suppose that's what we've come uh, or, or what people have become used to is this absolutely solid bass drum and, and it used to be the case if you're using an mpc or a, a lin or a um uh an ob oberheim or whatever that you just get this in i mean it would move a bit but it would be pretty damn solid and, and and also the sound was solid and when you layer things up yes you lose that kind of stuff interesting thought um i'm thinking this time it's probably time to to, to go into our um well in, into a, a message from our sponsor and i'll start with the message from our sponsor and then i will um we'll, we'll talk about the competition as well so i'll play that now so this is uh isotope brought to the show is brought to you by isotope isotope iris this is uh amazing spectral synthesizer you can actually natural intuitive selection of audio visual of manipulating audio visually the image of your sound you can draw select individual events you can shape shift and apply synthesis controls to your selections and layers and loop and morph into new textures you can sound sculpt and enjoy sort of lush filters delays reverb chorus and distortions for each layer sound libraries from all over the board there's wood glass food toys vaults altered and prepared objects as well as crazy modular synthesizers with the iris expansion packs in fact there's a whole lot of things you can do with this it, it, it's capable of creating 
sort of quite traditional sounds as well as completely mad off the wall sort of really unusual stuff and the fact that it's got this visual aspect to it it appeals to it appeals to a slightly different creative flow so you can get some very interesting stuff uh, download the free 10-day trial isotope.com forward slash iris and of course we did say that there would be a winner um from last week's show uh, and i think I, I think the challenge was to actually uh just to leave a comment that made us laugh uh, or made you know appeal to me and i do have a winner here see if i can bring him up uh it is uh let me see where's he gone Espen Store uh, said, uh, basically, I need Iris. He's doing albums and I'm bloody broke. I will use it for very far out sound design, I promise. And I just thought, yeah, that's, I just like that totally sort of honest approach. There were some other crackers. One, In fact, the, uh, the one below it, which is our videos TV, I need the Iris. You need good weather. I think we can make a deal. <laughs> I like the fact that he's prepared to change the weather for us. But <laughs> so um, I will try and get in touch with Espen Storo, who is a YouTube user. And uh, and that's it. And also, this week, what we're going to do is actually have uh, another competition that Isotope have very kindly given away another copy of Iris. And uh, what you'll need to do, I think, is go to this URL here. I'm just going to post it in here. Um, and this was... Uh, this was this came up. Isotope themselves came up with this one, which I think is actually quite an inventive and unusual idea. And you need to go to WikiHow uh, and look up how to write a haiku poem. And we want a haiku poem left in the comments that is somehow related to or is about Iris in some way. Uh, and if you need to know what a haiku poem is, uh, you can go to uh, how to write a haiku. I'll put this in the, sh- uh, in the show notes. And also, I'll just drop it down here. Let's have a look. If I throw that up there, you should be able to see it. Yes. How to write, uh, write a haiku poem. And um, the best one will be picked uh, either from the YouTube comments below or from the comments in the show notes, which also have a comment system. And then um, we'll... We'll pick a winner and there'll be another copy of Iris to go. So you can't say fair on that. Thanks again to Iris once again. Remember, uh, I think this is the one I need. Yes, free 10-day trial, isodope.com forward slash Iris. If you need to get hold of a 10-day evaluation copy to inspire you in your haiku, then I guess, you know, that's what you need to do. Okay. Right, the next one is... Uh, we did robot control. Ah, yes. This is, uh, this is madness. Or if it's not, it will be in a minute when the video... Of course, this is Visage, uh, reunited after 30 uh, 30 years since the last studio album, Visage. And uh, they go through the history of it, of course. We've got that. They they were kind of one of the signature bands of the 80s, I suppose. Uh, My camera's right in the way, so I'm going to fast forward a bit. And now they're doing a new album. Uh, looking a little uh, less beautiful, perhaps, than they did. Um, although I'm still very impressed by the amount of hair that Steve Strange has. I'm fabulously jealous, actually. I don't know how he does it. He must be quite a lot older than me. Uh, so, a new album called... And I'm so excited Oops. about this album coming out. Knives and Hearts and Knives. New lineup having Steve back. And basically, they didn't use any soft synths or anything. But it, I must admit, I know Dave, you passed this one on to me. What were your first thoughts when this uh, came up? Oh, plentiful. <laughs> I was um, thinking, oh my god, it's going to be terrible. Yeah, it's going to be awful. Actually, Mr. CR78, who is a regular in the chat room, uh, sent this to me, Alex, and it's really interesting because. I left it a few days before firing the video up, and then I, oh yeah, I must check that video out before I forward it to Nick, and I fired it up, and it turned out that Carl and I were on tour with uh, Barnacle, the bass player, 
many, many years ago. And actually, I was really disappointed how he didn't seem to have aged very much, <laughs> certainly compared to me. So that was the kind of first thought. And then it was just that whole 1978 with Visage. This really, you know, I worked at Russian's place for a bit and there were... That's Mr. Barnacle there. There was some very... Well, yeah, Steve and there was Gary Barnacle and they, and his dad had a big band. They were called... They were from Dover and it was like the Bill Barnacle Big Band, which I always thought was like one of the greatest names ever. I mean, That's a fabulous bit of iteration, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's just... It's just superb. Uh, and, and he was... Uh, I liked uh, Gary. He was... Uh, as Carl said, a solid bloke. And yeah, there was the whole connection with the Russian thing. Years ago, I, uh, my folks moved house and uh, it was kind of temporary move. And there was a big hill behind. I think I've said this story before, but I used to kind of sneak up the hill and have a cigarette. <laughs> and uh, this is like 1977, yeah, probably 77, maybe just touching 78. And uh, I look across and there's this house and basically the stranglers are going into this house. So I go and tell all my mates, oh, the stranglers have just been in this place up whatever the road was. And they're all just like, you know, oh, you're just not telling the truth again, are you, Spearsy? And uh, Jack and Ori used to spring to mind. And it actually was because it was Martin Russian's first studio, which was in the in the garage of his house. And later on, when I when I met him and spoke to him a lot, and uh, he said that actually it was probably his favourite studio of all time. Then obviously the Stranglers hit pretty big, and then uh, he moved to Streetly, nice luxe place on a hill. And but what was funny is that when I then met Billy Curry years later and explained this whole thing, and he just kind of looked at me and laughed and went, uh, "It's funny, isn't it? Because Martin used to go on about you know his punk roots." Henley on Thames, it's not exactly punk central, is it? Because it is the last bastion of Middle England round here. So it's really funny, all of these things kind of merged together. The idea that it was being done with analogue synths appealed to me. Although yeah. I have to say that there is, there's a really strange, I'm not criticising this move at all, but there's a really strange thing. Software at the minute is not particularly hip. You know, analog is everything and has been for a few years. And we know of several albums where people purport to use the original instruments, but they don't. They use the software. So, you know, I always kind of have an element of, uh, yeah, bit, there's a bit tongue-in-cheekness going on here. But, I but in this case, I think it's genuine. I, I, must, I must admit, the one thing I did notice about this, because I was listening to it, and I was, I was really sort of, I was, I was in, in, inwardly cringing, expecting it to be, you know, not all it could be because Steve Strange does, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit of a casualty of the age, shall we say, you know, in, in, but he's survived and that's great. Um, and I wasn't expecting it to be any good. And then I listened to it. And I thought, Ashley, it's really got the, you know, there's, there's a continuity even over all, after all this time. And I was looking at the, there's a teaser on SoundCloud and you look at the waveforms and it's great that they haven't toothpasted it. They've, they've sort of produced it <laughs> in a way that the waveform would probably look like back then as well. And it really is quite refreshing actually. And I, that was, that was the thing, you know, I don't think there's any of these sort of classic anthemic fade to grays on it or anything, but there's some nice stuff on there from what I hear and out, out, out you know, um, from the, from the taster. And I just thought well, that's great. You know, I'm really pleased with that because so often it can go horribly wrong in this sort of scenario. I just it? like that idea that there's an attempt to catch all the, uh, capture the original spirit. You know, yeah. whether they've done that remains to be seen. But, you know, I like that attitude. I really do. Uh, I've got to show this. This is in the chat room. This is uh, Sonic 3188. Uh, let's see if I can get it uh, just quickly. I have to scroll up a bit. But apparently Barnacles 
Uh, barnacles probably have the largest penis to body size ratio of all the animal kingdom. Just, <laughs> uh, it's just a fact that sort of went past and I felt it had to be, had to be drawn attention to. Anyway, I don't know. Now, can you follow that with something about, um, visage? <laughs> no, but I know that ducks have massive penises. <laughs> and they're like huge, massive corks. I, no, I think I've heard that. has a penis which is about three quarters of a mile long, I think. <laughs> so I'm not sure really? that that's true. I don't think the barnacle, well, unless a barnacle has it coiled forever. Brad. But anyway, that's a complete aside. It's probably got no width, I'd imagine. Um, I like I like the drums. I think I've I'm really becoming an evangelist for like these little blippy bloppy drums. I think they should become. You know, it's nice to see that they've used drums that sound like sort of analog drum machines. Well, they have. They've got. There's a lot of live kit in there as well, actually. Well, I want them. You know, there's little ones. There's beep things. I want them back. <laughs> I don't know why. I used to. I, m- I remember. I, I used to make huge keyboards worth of kind of blippy analog drum sounds. Actually, in fact, I, I tell you what. I was a really good source of them. Was um, oh god, what was it? It was the Yamaha oh, DJX of all things. I recorded oh, right. tons and tons of sounds out of the DJX when we were doing uh, some of the first couple of golf rap albums and used it all over those they just sound there's just lots of little really unusual little funny little sounds which are probably in turn came from uh, uh other drum machines. Yeah, yamaha drum yeah. machines or a range of keyboards but uh, yeah i take your point yes more blippy drums please in fact there are they're quite there's uh, isn't there microtonic the utonic uh sonic charge is a, a blippy drum machine um, i'm if i'm uh, if i remember i mean yeah, I mean, maybe people should be making their drums out of... I mean, I, actually, I watched... Um, I mean, going back to the 80s, I watched Fashions Move On the other day on video because I just had it in my head for some reason. And those really sp- splashy kind of smashy Simmons drums are nice as well. So anything that's moving back to that sort of sounds fresh. And there's going to be a whole, like generation of people that have never really heard these sounds so it's going to sound remarkably fresh to them as well isn't it so mm. well, we've um, been we've we've talked about the simmons drums in the past haven't we because they just had so much pot men and there were being used they have been used quite a lot recently but it's one of those sounds that is impossible to capture and uh, you know you just have to i've been and i've been looking for an sds5 brain um for ages oh, <laughs> I, what i want there is a bright red simmons drum kit as part of the set, the backdrop to Sonic, I just think wow. uh, that's my dream, but I just can't afford one. All right. I said this before, haven't I? Have you got a brain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. I've got five, yeah. Five, <laughs> I've got a five, five piece brain. A five piece and, brain. And five pads. <laughs> There's um, some great. The XLRs were wired a bit differently. Uh, hey, okay, I, I, I just want to point. There's some absolutely fantastic '80s uh, tribute bands names coming in, in here. Um, Depeche Commode, uh, Macwood Fleet, Depeche, Depeche Commode, a soccer flea girls. <laughs> that's just, oh, I've got a. I better yeah, Depeche Foe then Depeche Commode. That's great. Um, uh, where was it? A sock of flea girls. Yeah, some great eighties tribute bands. Name. I'm sure that in fact we could probably come up with some cracking ones. If I hadn't already thought of the Irish competition, um, it's too late. I'll, I'll have to maybe run that for another one if they ever run another one. But um, hey, but yeah, it's. Uh, uh, let me see if I can go to the the web page. Um, it's funny though, isn't it? There's, there's something uncomfortable about trying to recapture the fashion of the time with with people who are 
old enough to well, know better. But yeah, it's not big and it's not clever. And but uh, it's. Uh, I don't know how to address this thing. I was. I've had. Well, I did email you some comments, but I don't. I don't know. It would be unkind to say them. At I, 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 th- I mean, the, I think the thing is, is it, that's part of the brand, Still, isn't it? The, actually, I'm not <laughs> it's the brand, isn't it? The, I, I think really, you couldn't really have Visage as a bloke, some some blokes just dressed in suits or or anything. You know, you'd have to. There has to be an element of the the kind of look to it. So they don't yeah, have they don't sort of have any choice, do they? Really, I'd, it'd be interesting yeah, to see the maybe. audience. I think Boy George does it better, actually. In terms of like, you know, we've taken that whole weird arty fashion thing and, you know, kind of very heavy makeup and all that kind of stuff. And Boy George has just taken it off in this really strange direction with all that kind of paint poured down his head kind of thing and different things stuck on his head and stuff. There's something more interesting about that because that's something, it looks kind of fresh and new that hasn't really been done before. Whereas Steve Strange seems to be veering towards a kind of a maybe i mean i, I don't know what i can't say i'm just gonna sorry in his defense i mean i think uh not coloring his hair and having what looks like i mean i'm assuming it's supposed to be gray hair but having silver colored hair which is uh in keeping with his age is kind of cool in a way than, yeah than no I, t- I, I take your point though yeah, I'll stop talking. Actually, I tell you, I point. it's funny, isn't it? Because um, um, Mr. Barnacle and um, the guitarist look like they could be uh, old members of the Pistols. They look like sort of really rather, and they're looking a bit shifty. Whereas uh, the other, the two in the middle, which is uh, I've forgotten what her name is now. It's uh, I've got it here. She's called uh, uh, Lauren Duval. Uh, there was no evidence of her on the on any of the taster tracks. So I'd be interested to hear what her singing is on this because uh, she's supposed to be have a hell of a voice. But yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. It's got nothing to do with the way they look. But yeah, it, it sounds like it's quite interesting. The interesting they've put that whole thing about uh, um, no soft sense. Um, produced by, I think there must be tape. That there must have been some uh, typos in this because I looked at these for these people. Steve Bryland and Saar Havlicek, who I think is a Slovenian producer. But I, I couldn't find any information about them at all, anywhere. And when you see the, con- the, the collection of synths that they've got, I, ju- I was just trying to find out how they might have got together, but I just couldn't see anything anywhere. Uh, there's another one. Howie's in there with Dry, Dry, Dry. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cracker. The, um, moist, moist, does... moist. Yeah, that would, be, that would be closer. Damp, 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 possibly. <laughs> I was looking at... Um... Oh God, I can't remember the make of it. But I was looking at the, a can of dehydrated water on the in- internet earlier. One is it Bernard's? <laughs> What's There's that? actually a company that make dehydrated water, which yeah. is obviously an empty can. But I thought it was quite amusing. Ah, okay, interesting. Yes, there's another great uh, one from the chat room there, which is on the moist, 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 wet, wet, wet. Uh, I can't, I can't say it, but you can see it there, which I, I happen to agree with completely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah, so um, uh, yes, Visage. Uh, you apparently you can go and see them at the fifth of June in London at the Hoxton Plaza. I think their tickets still available. I don't know what that venue's like. I haven't seen it really, but um, pretty cool. And I'm, I'm just kind of, I just like the idea that it's 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 going to be all right, you know, because it, it could so easily not be all right. But it seems to be actually, interestingly enough, there's there, there are a lot of uh, longer lived artists kind of coming out with what people consider to be their best works at the moment. You can look at uh, uh, oh, what's his name, the Beatles bass player Bowie, 
and uh, there was somebody else as well who've come out with albums that people are just going, this is really, really good stuff. Geldorf, you know, just, see what I mean? They're kind of, there seems to be a theme there. Anyway. I thought Bowie, I liked Bowie's album. I bought Bowie's album and listened. To I haven't yet. I'm going to uh, gonna check it out. And what else did we get? Uh, oh, yes, that's right. What would you call a new studio? Now, this I thought was kind of interesting. Um, again, another post in the uh, We Are The Music Makers on uh, Reddit, which was uh, somebody who was opening a studio, and they were just kind of looking for names for a new recording studio, which just got me thinking, you know, obviously we can come up with some, um, no doubt, some amusing ideas for the name of a recording studio, but also, if you were to open a recording studio, recording studio what should it actually be these days you know what is a recording studio to you what if you know if you were to go somewhere what would it have to have to make you want to pay to go through the door and because i thought that was quite an interesting kind of concept in uh, and a a question that people must actually be having to answer and and in some way uh these days because you know there there are presumably some studios being opened uh, by uh, philanthropic individuals that maybe are thinking, you know, but mine's going to be different in that it doesn't have to make any money, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? What would I call it? Or what do I look for? Well, it, we, I either. had a good name studio years ago. I think I put it in my little blog thing. Uh, it was called DFA. And it was Don't About. Don't ah. About. Do you have a high about. hourly rate? <laughs> well, we did. We after it after a, a load of gangster activity and a load of abstract nonsense and just rubbish. Basically, it got robbed. <laughs> that was quite amusing. So uh, I decided to call it a day and rechristen it um, "Done All." <laughs> so that was it. And I've never named a studio after that. Really? Ah, oh, that was your last experience. Yeah. But what, for, and when you're looking for when, when you know when you if you were I mean presumably a lot of the time you're going to a studio that somebody else has booked for some whatever reason. But if you were to look for one yourself, what was it you would want from that studio? As a studio these days, kind of depends what I'm doing. I mean, really, yeah. I think the one of the if I'm recording, you know, real instruments, then obviously you need a decent live room. I think the overriding interest for me is somebody who's actually really competent because somebody who knows how to operate it. There is an awful, you know, this kind of. I find this with mastering engineers. When once you hear like one or two really excellent mastering engineers, you realise quite how many blaggers there are on the sort of scene. You go, oh yeah, I've just mastered this album, and you listen to it, and you're just like, it's actually not very good. Or you know, there's no real overall <laughs> consistency. So I think, half a bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've done that. So yeah, it's um, I don't know really. I mean, we kind of, I think we've gotten to the stage now where we use different studios for different things. Like you know, when we were recording modular stuff for iris and stuff you know we went into benji's that's perfect for all because of that. it's got all that stuff in it yeah, right? yeah. you know and, and of course it's maintained and you know at his expense as opposed to yeah yeah, yeah. chris's for a change mm. um but other than that i think probably a, you know somebody really knows what they're doing and a good live a good live facility well, that's you know, interesting could, you should say that actually yeah um i don't know what what are, what are you because uh, i've got some ideas about that what about you mark what's the question what would i well call what would you call one and also uh, perhaps if you're going to one what is it that you would want or if you were going to open one what would it offer that you think that you know you can't get anywhere else that needs to be offered because it's uh, let's face it opening a studio now is it might be considered by many to be suicidal you know because it's just it's hard so hard to make any cash um 
And when I did have a company name, which was Extra Sonic Perceptions, as in ESP, mm-hmm. a while ago, and I would probably stick with that name, actually, because what I'd want to offer people would be the mood of the place is more important than anything else because we can record music anywhere now, can't we? I can take my laptop and I can go and sit in my car and record vocals if I want to, or I can go or in and space. sit in my shed or in space. Yes, exactly. So there you go. There's a, a mood of a place which you actually couldn't find anywhere else. So I think the mood of it's important. And I really do strongly believe that you know, recording equipment is supposed to have like this bandwidth between like, you know, the low end of hearing and the high end of hearing. But it picks up so much other stuff as well. So if if and I don't I'm not saying we are because we I don't want to get all like kind of woo woo on it, but if human beings are capable of having any kind of extra sensory communication, then it's gonna go in the recording gear as well, isn't it? So in terms of like the mood of a place, I think audio recordings can possibly capture the mood of a place, whether it actually translates back out the other end after it's been to a really poor mastering engineer or not, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm laughing at my own jokes now, aren't I? That's terrible. Um, So that would be the first thing. So I would want a really big space. Um, I would want uh, to create some kind of playback environment that could, um, you know, I would have uh, speakers in all the corners so that I could fly sound around in that space and do some really unusual things with sound, particularly so I could stand in the middle of the space wearing binaural microphones and then fly the sound around and record the effect of that. I suppose I would want... um, Oh, God, I'm going to go... Am I going into fantasy land now? No, it's all right. Carry on. I I want walls that have a pine or maple on one side, maple on one side of them, a hard light wood on one side of them, and then I want the wall to turn round and turn into an anechoic chamber so I can switch the walls between reflective and completely dead. That would be kind of cool. That's cool. Wow, that's a nice um, idea. But more important than anything else is a huge range of different sounding microphones and then lots of different ways of getting those microphones into my, uh, like, Pro Tools or whatever I'm using. So lots of different ways of of um, capturing sound and lots of different sounding ways of capturing sound. And then, of course, I, th- I do think somebody that knows how to place microphones is probably essential. Yeah. Because, um, like, it's all well and good having, like, loads of different sounding mics, but, you know, it's if... If um, the sound uh, that we got on this particular record, they got on that particular Led Zeppelin record, let's say, was, you know, the sound of a a Reslo ribbon mic stuck on the edge of an AC30 cranked to the absolute full or whatever, it's got to, I mean, I would want to work with somebody that knows how to do that. Right, have all of that recording knowledge. And yeah, that's an interesting idea, actually. And I I think that makes a lot of sense, what you're saying. My favorite studio in the whole world, which is sort of approaching that, is a place called Funny Buddy. And it's run by a guy called Jeremy Stacey, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Stacey. What's it called? Funny Money. Funny Bunny. Oh, Funny Bunny. But that guy, you go in there and and you go, he goes, "What, what kind of sound do you want? And you say, well, I'd quite like it to sound a bit like, and then you name a record, and he goes, oh, yeah, they use this snare on that, and it'll bring out, like... So he's got every kind of drum kit you can think of kind of shoved in, 
storage units all around the place, and then he's got old EMI desks and like load uh, every kind of kind of compressor you can think of, and all these different ribbon mics and condenser mics and all sorts of stuff. And he'll sort of try and recreate the recording environment that caused, you know, that created that sound in the first place as best he can, or with his with his knowledge of it. Oh, that's and, a that, that's a really unique way of doing it as well, isn't it? That's that's kind of unusual. That's I like the sound of that. Yeah, and it's in you know because he's knowledgeable and he he's sort of researched all of these things. He's quite good fun to work with as well. Ah, interesting. I I was thinking about this as well because I, I mean, what I'd love to I, I think it would be a, a more a question of the space rather than the kit. So try and create a space where you could have you'd have obviously a control room where you could do stuff and a good sounding room, but then you'd also have a really big space or a, an interesting funky space that you could stage events as well as performances and you could partition it up in lots of different ways and treat it different ways. So for instance, you know, one day it could be, uh, you know, big drum session or whatever. Another day it could be a, a live streaming gig where you've got a band, a load of cameras, some interesting sound, a bit of an audience and you just turn, you know, and you just basically repurpose it as much as possible because I think, uh, and also the other idea is, uh, and I think somebody said it in the chat room earlier back, which was create a space where there were uh, um, sort of associated services and businesses around it which is what's happening to a lot of recording studios now is as they close down and shrink um producers and programmers and people who work who do who are still working are taking up the 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 spaces as they become available for 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 rent as it were and so you get these kind of communities of musical and other other kind of creative uh, processes all around a space that has a purpose and i like the idea of that that would be fantastic i mean just to create have a have a, a almost a community area because i think you'll find that if you get the right collection of people then there's all this stuff that buzzes off people so you know for instance if we were there and we had this kind of facility people go oh i want to you know i want to do some video can we book in next tuesday to do whatever you know we yeah. uh, we i know with the with underworld they have a design facility tomato and in uh, certainly the sort of mid 90s that was exactly the kind of ethos of the place you know he was doing the graphics on such and such an ad and so he was doing the, and then so i need somebody to do that and it was an amazing absolutely amazing place to be mm. and we tried it's quite a difficult thing to kind of recreate out in the sticks we well, tried a couple of times and it's just like so there's us and then a load of other really wealthy rock stars around here, and they don't want to be hanging around with us because they've got their big piles and their big studio, and we don't want to be hanging around with them because they're old. <laughs> so it was quite an interesting turn of events. Yeah, I think it's very. I mean, it, it's that's the one thing about you know again with us, you know, in in Bath being such a small place, there are very few. There, although there are a lot of creative people around, there are very few places that are able to house that kind of thing whereas in london and, and larger cities there are that it's much more prevalent isn't it i mean you see it you know also see it in sheffield as well with the electronic music scene i mean there's much more of that going on and i think that's 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 a limitation of i guess provincial life you know unfortunately which has other things to offer but not that sadly yeah and also i think you know what happens in cities is that people are hungry for some kind of success so you know they will there will always be this kind of big melting pot of ideas and things. And if you can kind of galvanize that in some way, you know, you stand a really good chance. What then happens is that as people make their money, they move further out and become slightly more insular. I find that 
I've always found that quite frustrating about around. I here. suppose they do, but then then they have access to their own facility whenever they want, and that, that's by the nature as you become more busy and and also, you know, your schedule has to dictate your workflow and your work rate. You know, if you've got to wait for somebody to finish doing something else, then it's it's harder to to, to work to that thing, I suppose. But if that environment, in a sense, becomes a muse, then you leave that environment. That's also why people make the most amazing albums and then they move out somewhere else and then their work goes up its own arse, I'm going to say, actually, to put it gently. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that's a fair point, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, well, yeah, Chris and I are going to... We, we, we still intend to open a big analogue recording studio with a ton of tape-based uh, playing things and we're going to walk around with white gloves all day going, don't touch that. <laughs> that? Oi, what do you think you're doing? I just really like the idea of doing that for a job. I, I think you need a brown coat for that. Yeah, a brown coat. <laughs> I don't think a white coat works. And, and a clipboard. Yeah, oh, yeah. certainly white gloves. White gloves are compulsory. Yeah, white gloves. Yeah. Ah, no, whenever no, anybody says, can I, can, I, can I just plug this synth? Or, oh, I don't know about that. It's more than my job's worth to let you plug that yeah, CV gate into that CV gate. That, I don't know. We're going to have to, uh, we're gonna have, to have a union meeting about this. Yeah, we'll have to test the voltage, make sure it's compatible. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to work. <laughs> that would be a, what a hell of a way to create modular patches <laughs> with like a kind of a, a bloke going, no, no, you can't do that. Hold on a minute, I'll have to ask. You know, can you imagine? <laughs> How fantastically unconducive to any form of creativity. <laughs> I don't know, the BBC managed for like... Yeah, for years! years didn't they? Whatever. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Bless them. Yes. Um, okay. Anyway, well, that sounds great. Uh, uh, that's an interesting topic to perhaps finish on because it's now five o'clock. But uh, yeah, I, uh, it, I wished. Oh, oh, sorry, Dave. Were you no, hoping, were you no, hoping no. for? Hold on. Uh, I can I can just see. Perhaps you could indicate to me which one you wanted to talk about. Was it uh, Miss Miss Radig? Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Let's let's get it in. Oh, that's a good one. Apache Studios, spelt A P A T C H Y. Very good. I like that. That's a crack. That's a cracky one. Uh, fantastically unconducive. My new studio says John Van Eaton in the chat room. Of course, I'm in mine in two weeks' time. In about two weeks' time. Oh, of course, you're moving back out again. So, Dave, what are you going to do if, like, you get to your new place and you just you're hankering back for your for this? So, this mean we're going to have to have a new yeah. you have a new backdrop, or is it as big as this, or have you got more space or less space? More than this. Oh, cool. Yeah, this is really tiny. Gaz came here the other day, in fact, and. Uh... <laughs> He went, oh, it's, it's smaller than it looks. Uh, but I showed him the new place, and yes, no, it's really, really, really exciting. I mean, oh, this is the kind of culmination of, like, you know, years and years of graft for me. Wow. All together with, in the studio with a view. I can't wait to show it to you. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I'm really looking can't forward to, to it. In. I've got, uh, we've got some exciting things planned, actually. I, I don't know if you've noticed, we've had uh, a few people uh, doing guest post blogs, actually, uh, which has been really interesting. And uh, we're going to start to sort of build that little army of, uh, of contributors up. And we have this idea also to do a day in the life, um, which I would like to talk to uh, all of you lot about doing something along that as well, because I think that could be kind of interesting. Um, and I won't say any more, but if anybody is interested in contributing to Sonic, um, you can go to, I think it's sonicstate.com forward slash pages 
slash blog.cfm. There's a snappy URL if ever you've heard one. Um, uh, uh, there's, there are links on the site, but if you're interested in contributing, then do let us know. We've got kind of uh, a, some uh, a workflow and a method, and it, it's it, we've had some great stuff in. I had a piece from Ed Egan uh, today, and a couple of other people have posted some great stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. But I guess, really, um, we should get on to this, uh, this final and uh, most thrilling topic. And uh, now, let me see. This is the... Uh, I'm trying to remember what the... F- Blooming video is, I think it's this one. It's not that one because that's not a video. This might be it. Yes, here we are. This is uh, the video in question. And this is uh, probably the coolest auntie you could ever have, depending on your age. J'ai eu envie de faire. Ça, c'est pour commencer. C'était cette musique-là et pas une autre. Here we are in a sec. This is Eliane Radig. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I, I, I'm not sure if I am at all. But she does this uh, very interesting sort of drone kind of music, and this is her on the uh, 2500, which is something that she's been using ever since she started working electronic music in the 1960s, up until year 2000. That was her, her only instrument that she used. And while it sounds like there's just a fan on really loud in the room, actually she's creating these kind of complex drone characters. Um, and she does these sort of drone and feedback pieces, which some of them are challenging, but some of them are actually quite beautiful as well. Um, and this is just a, sort of a piece by uh, the IMA. It's a profile of an electronic artist. And uh, it's just really very obscure. But I didn't know. These are the scores that she has on tracing paper. She developed a whole notation system, I think. <laughs> it's fantastic. Anyway, I won't play the whole thing because I'll get busted. But um, uh, yeah, it's very. If you search for Elien Radig on, uh, what I might do is play a little bit of this drone that she that the piece called. Uh, this is Jetson Miller uh, from 1986. If I play that and just sort of keep it in the background, I don't know if you'll be able to hear it. Actually, you lot, that might not work because you'll get. Um, You'll be able to hear it on the broadcast. If I press play, you'll be able to hear. And Dave, um, I, I just when I saw this, it, I can't remember how it came about, but I just saw it and I tweeted uh, rather flippantly, I want her to be my auntie, because she would just be a brilliant auntie. Uh, that's only ever happened to me a couple of times. Uh, I had, and one of the other people was uh, an artist called Helen Chadwick. I was working on a, uh, uh, a CD-ROM at Real World, which was one of the Eve things, the Peter Gable things, and she came in and we had to interview the artists talking about their work, which is, as we know, in British modern art, is the one or any modern art these days, contemporary art, it's about how you can talk about it. And she was just totally captivating and she was uh, she was brilliant. And we just left and we was like, oh, do you want to come to my house for tea? <laughs> come meet me, come meet my mum. <laughs> <laughs> she was just really anyway but she sadly passed away um, not long after with from a heart attack but uh, Ellen uh, Radik I guess it Radik is, is still going uh, this is a piece um, she was uh, but it, I just thought how cool is that to have like I'm guessing she's in her 60s possibly 70s now just sort of an expert on the ARC 2500 Dave Spears you had some input to this I know I've obviously rambled on over most of it it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. I just thought I found it surprising that you were surprised that I absolutely adore this kind of. I stuff. must admit, I, I do miss the chorus, you know, and the uh, the floating well, melody. Well, if you but... flip it on forty-five, you might be able to dance to it. But <laughs> it's like there is, and I think that's a real key point that everything now is fast-paced and in your face, and everything is sound bite. Whereas there's something beautiful about this kind of 
way of working it's not about reaching the chorus in three minutes or reaching the three and a half minute pop song kind of deadline it's about all those spaces in between hugely fluid and constantly kind of moving sonic soundscapes and for me i love it and i will put synths on i mean one of my favorite actually is is to put the oscar and the imp on a kind of drone and modulate the resonance and do all sorts of things like that and i can work like that all day because actually i find it really soothing in fact i had this kind of weird conversation with gaz the other day we were talking about the talk talk thing and there's a a particular track i can't remember what it's called i think it's after the flood where there's just what i consider to be the greatest guitar solo ever and it's a single note but everything resonates at different frequencies so you there's all these harmonics coming out and i think it's to do with the fact that people you know everything resonates at a different frequency animate and inanimate objects and certain things may appeal to you and certain things don't and as you can probably gather i could go on for bloody hours about it so it's probably time that i shut up no i i agree i mean th- this piece was the most melodic i could find like i say this is called jetson miller uh, from 1986 and she was really into um the uh, uh tibetan oh god no no oh what we're done she was really into Tibetan um, um, Buddhism and converted and, and became a kind of spiritually sort of guided by but, and obviously heavily influenced. And what was quite interesting, I was reading a, a lot of the um, stuff about her and uh, she was born in 1932 and um, at the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, she, she created a single uh, three-hour work uh, which is called Trilogy de l'Amour, which is, the, the, I think, yeah. the, the, uh, which is part of the, and this is interesting, uh, the first part of the Kaima Intermediate States that followed the continuum of six states of consciousness. And uh, I just thought it was very interesting um, that some of those terms, you know, have kind of found their ways into... Uh, isn't the Kaima... Um, a uh, the, the the sound generation oh, for the, the Huck Continuum. I just wonder if those things are related. That was just a completely random. But uh, it's a slightly different spelling. But that piece is actually a, a really brilliant, brilliant piece. You've, there is just this kind of, and it is the only words I can use to describe it is fluid movement within that. And I mean, actually, nothing really happens for kind of thirty-five minutes. No, I find myself fast-forwarding, and then I'll go, oh, something's changed, and then I would go back to see what actually happened and it's usually a very slow transition into it so it's yeah no it's it's i I find it really an astonishing piece in the way that there's these kind of tiny changes in resonant textures and for me it's kind of it's almost pure music it's not designed to be showy it's just it's not designed to be anything other than fluid and and just evolving constantly and also when you put it into the context of an installation you can get all these happy accidents and harmonics and tones like that and i love this kind of real beautiful attention to detail i i've had conversations with certain sound designers probably from an artistic bent but we will focus we will talk about tuning resonances and fine tuning resonances and modulating things to such a minuscule degree that you know most people you'd listen to it and you'd laugh but well you can hear it here in this i don't know if this is coming through but you can hear that there's a very gentle oscillation around the harmonics which is obviously a resonant filter going i mean i'm assuming it is unless it's the balance or the beating of different uh, frequencies together and I'd love the idea of being able to say, I'm just popping around my auntie's house to have a go on the 2500. Yeah. 
I was very disappointed at the end of the video when it said she's no longer, um, she's currently only composing for acoustic instruments. I felt very let down. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe she couldn't find anyone to fix her uh, 2500. Harmonic massage seems to be going around in the chat room. That's a nice uh, way of putting it. I know, um, Mark, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm well, guessing. Free. I'm guessing that that some of this might appeal to you because you're into the sort oh, it of. Does. Yeah. Oh, good. Absolutely. But three thing, three three things spring to mind, and uh, the first one is the music of the planets thing. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Harmonic resonances. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. And all of those different, just slowly, gently shifting kind of frequencies. But it also reminds me of this. This. this emerging kind of thing called sound therapy which people are getting more and more into and gong baths and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and you keep seeing it turn up harmonic like, massage gong bath there's a, there we uh, go yeah sound massage and gong bath oh, um so and those when you rub those singing bowls you get like lots of different harmonic frequencies kind of happening oh yes the tibetan singing bowls that's right so um i guess that's a uh, sort of relevance to it but um, and I had, I, you know, in the 80s, I bought these CDs. There was this CD called Tin Tibulation, I think, which was all, uh, I can't remember if it was synthesized or if it was organic, but it was just this CD which was about an hour long, which really didn't do it justice because it could have evolved for like many more hours of like these kind of, like it was music to sleep to, basically. You put, so right. I've always slept through the, you know, white noise or something. I like having something just gently whirring away in the background because you just kind of lull into it and go off into some kind of strange dreamscape. But uh, watching that video, when she said it takes, she said it takes um, two years to complete a piece. And she said the first year she spends finding the right sounds. And then it sort of, it sort of creates itself from where she's found all the right bits and put bits on tape and edited them up and all that kind of stuff. And then she spends the second year arranging it. And I was thinking, I just find Jesus. that absolutely extraordinary. That puts like, our kind of nineties programming chops into, into shame, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'm mine. If it's taken me more than two hours to complete the entire song, then I've probably gone astray somewhere and, you know, got, <laughs> Uh, absorbed in the wrong thing, maybe, but <laughs> she probably gets a grant. <laughs> yeah, well, the, I know that uh, that is a very valid point, actually, Dave. Because I mean, France are, are, are very uh, supportive of kind of all sorts of uh, lost causes, into commercial lost causes. Because I mean, obviously, I can't imagine any way that she would be commercially able to to do much with this. I mean, I couldn't imagine record sales are going to generate a much of a lifestyle for her. But she, I'd imagine, she probably does get a grant. And France is very good at that sort of thing for the arts and also for a lot of businesses. Actually, that that oh, yeah. you kind of wonder how on earth do they have they kept going for so many years and and and, and what have you and and then you realize oh they're probably getting a grant uh, there is another french connection actually what's the name of the, those lovely people um i can't remember the names of them now um that that uh, they're french and they make body um sensors and also synthesizers as well i wish i could remember now the chat room might oh, remember well. No, no, they're, they're current stuff. Are really nice people. I, I just am absolutely, my mind has gone complete blank. But they've made uh, this sort of quite large custom, or a case size custom modular, which has all the modules uh, interpatchable, but they're also um, named as 
sort of telemetry and pl- planetary uh, parameters. So the whole thing is geared around this whole music of the planets. I wish I could remember what it was. I feel terrible for not having it and I brought it up. It's no, it's not, it's not Artori. They're, they're, oh, they, they made the um, Ond Martinez re- uh, recently, the remake of that. Oh, yes, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I, can't, I wish I could remember what they're called. I feel terrible because I see them every year. They're really lovely people and I feel ghastly now because I can't think who they are. Uh, Aunt Anne's Martinet. No, right. Okay. Let's see. Uh, is is that how you spell it? Oh gosh, that's unlikely. Who are um... the French? Seem to be very good at this, though, don't they? If we're talking about French, because they've got the Pompadour. Pompadour. Yeah. The uh, IR. Is it IR? Um... And then this whole that Ur-cam. whole Urcam thing Ur-cam, as well, yeah. which is um, over there. So it's a shame we don't. I mean, we did have the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, didn't we? But then it didn't. What, ha- what happened to that? It got um, axed, privatised, and, yeah. and axed, didn't it? Yeah. I uh, like the idea of going to the government and going, "I need a year to work on these sounds, please." Yeah, and yeah, I live in brilliant. Paris, so I need I'll, loads of money. I'll pay you back when I can, um, and then I need another never. year to put them together. <laughs> but I love the other bit that she was saying about you know. It, it, when she's doing the installation composition earwave yes sorry chat room i was i was looking at it's earwave they make on martinu speakers as well uh yes uh, very interesting um stuff sorry about that i was just i I was i was lost in google not really looking at the chat room i do beg your pardon no we have to know we have to know these things Mm. um yes it'd be great earwave sorry that's harry yes mechanic everybody they've all they all they all got me i'm terribly sorry about that i was that was an awful piece of ignorance i should actually say that the chat room are sort of the extra brain that uh that i'm often missing at least i can only speak for myself um uh, the turbo the giant turbo brain um i didn't I just di- saw the word gamelan fly past then actually and that's Did a you? very valid point it's it, it is very much like an electronic kind of gamelan, isn't it? Which yes. Is the... mm. Earwave. That's right. I, I I just can't remember the name of that. I did see it when I was at Mesa, but it was not patched up, and I couldn't film anything. And when I'd gone back, it was it was all a bit late. But uh, yeah, but it's worth listening. I mean, like I say, I'm very much uh, kind of pop head so i find uh, listening to it but i think it's the sort of thing that if you put on and listen through to the end you appreciate it much more for it being there but if you're just trying to listen to it go see what it's like it doesn't work on that level does it really it has to be almost background rather than you can't really listen to it with with a a very um clinical and dissecting sort of point of view unless you perhaps already um it's quite emotive i think it's quite emotive and i think almost on a kind of subconscious level i love a lot of uh Lots of, you know, John Hassel, all those kind of guys, you know, sort of more modern composers, just the way they approach things from that. It's a very, um, oh, I keep coming back to the same blooming word and I fluid all the time. But it is, it is, it just seems to kind of flow very naturally. And it's not, sometimes when you put somebody who purports to be some kind of patch or sound designer in front of a synth, Everything it just is kind of it's all a bit disjointed and jarring and annoying. Whereas I like this kind of you get this flow from one thing into another. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I. In fact, when I was doing the MS Twenty Mini uh, review, I had it patched up with the modular over there, and I was kind of doing this, adding just loads and loads of elements to these large drones because I obviously had two oscillators and an audio rate modulation. And all this other stuff, and it was, and I had to do that because uh, obviously the output of the Korg MS is uh, volt is hertz volt 
rather, and, and the other stuff is volt octave. So I just had to tune everything to a note and then, you know, rather than play it, just kind of turn things up and down against it. So, but yeah. I suppose we might be at the point where we could sort of say um, say goodbye to uh, and and finish up. And um, I feel rather sort of chilled and mellow after having that mm, in the background. Nice. I really do think that um, you should check it out, um, Eliane Radig. And there's some great. And she was not not. This is totally coincidental. But uh, there's a, a few of the videos show her pictures of her when she was sort of in the in the 60s and 70s, and she was foxy as well, which must have been quite. <laughs> I, I mean, not that it has anything to do with anything. It has nothing to do with anything, but it it it's sort of it, it's a nice. Oh, I don't know. It's it's just it, it it pleased me more, even even more, if that's possible, to think that she was she wasn't a sort of nerdy kind of you know. She was she was actually seemed like a kind of. Oh, I'm going to shut up because I'm just digging myself a massive hole. <laughs> right, uh, but once again, I want to say uh, thank you to our sponsors. Uh, don't remember Iris free day trial, free ten day trial, isodope.com forward slash Iris. And also, don't forget if you want to win a copy of Iris, then uh, leave a comment below, which somehow uses Iris in a haiku. Which, if you need to know what a haiku is, look it up, and it will give you a rough idea on. Um, about how you construct a haiku poem. So I'm looking for... Iris has to be either the subject or, you know, uh, involved in some way. And I guess the one that we like the best will win a copy of Iris. Uh, leave it in the YouTube comments below or in the show notes. We have a comment system as well. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can head over there and you don't need to log in or whatever. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. So we'll say goodbye to our, our, our contributors. Mark Tinley over there. Um, nice to see you again, Mark. And... Uh, See you another time. Thanks for joining us. Indeed. I will return another time. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. See you soon. And, of course, uh, we'll go back to Dave Spears with his lovely modular over there, um, uh, which will be in a different... Will it be in a different background next week? Uh, I don't know is the honest answer. Uh, probably not, no. Windows are going in Tuesday. Skirting and doors and architrave, I think, Thursday. So maybe I might get in over the weekend and start. But I'm going to, I'm going to, this room's going to evolve. I'm not going to. Ah, don't forget to put some conduit under the floors so you can run some cables under the floors. Oh, no, it's too late for that. Floor's <laughs> gone in. Floor's <laughs> gone in. Insulation's gone in. Everything's oh. gone in. But it's really nice because Chris is, Chris is doing very, uh, a similar kind of thing. And uh, actually, it's really nice because that means I don't have to have everything in one room. Ah. So we're just going to take our time and bring stuff out of storage. But there's so much stuff that I've kind of, I'm pining for now, you know. It's been like four, four, five months. I really want my Wurlitzer piano back. Yeah, yeah, you always turn in and uh, hammer out a, a tune, a few a few uh, augmented ninths, major sevenths. What, but neighbours ain't going to know what's hitting. Anyway. Uh. Thank you very much. You're Great welcome. Fun. Anyway, that's it. Um, um, that's it for this week. That was Sonic Talk number 314. Thanks, everybody, for watching.